Okay, hello everyone. Um, welcome to our third episode of Ukrainian-ish. Today I think we're really just touching on efforts to support Ukraine and humanitarian efforts, military aid efforts, um, from things like St. Javelin to United24 to grassroots volunteers abroad. Welcome to today's episode. I think a good starting point is to acknowledge the importance of volunteers and volunteer efforts and organizations because honestly I don't know if we would have been able to make it this far without everyone and I think a unique part of being Ukrainian is that I think everyone considers themselves a volunteer to a certain extent. Everyone is doing something and whether whether it's a soup kitchen or fundraising or spreading awareness everyone is playing a role and I think everyone is taking their role really seriously. Yeah, and even like when I was in Ukraine in October, it was almost like everyone I talked to was like actively part of a huge amount of things to help Ukraine. People make monthly or weekly contributions to different funds. And really there's just like a spirit of what can I do and I'm going to do everything I can to help Ukraine. And that's in Ukraine and abroad as well. At first today, uh, we're really just going to look at local aid and volunteers so specifically in Kiev and Lviv and really how pe- the locals there have kept Ukraine safe indirectly and directly. To specifically start looking at the territorial defense, the territorial defense is basically this subgroup and kind of light infantry group present in almost all major Ukrainian cities. And they are basically just responsible for the safety and management of citizens in their kind of localized area. The territorial defense is a subgroup of the Ukrainian military and gets support from the government, but it's a complete volunteer effort. Yeah, I mean, I remember in the first few weeks of the war when this group was being established, really, I remember there were queues like like circling around blocks just to, you know, to get a gun or to get, you know, your name signed on to this territorial defense list. Yeah, and what I think makes the territorial defense very important is that, and this was shown if you look back at the Revolution of Dignity or Euromaidan back in 2014, that when you bring uh, any sort of police or military presence from a different place, they don't feel as connected to that land. They don't feel as connected to those people. So I think having a territorial defense is so, so important because you are fighting for your community, for the people you know in your own community, um, which I think is very powerful and just even more motivating and inspiring. Yeah, and so I want to take us back to the early weeks and months of the war, specifically during the Battle of Kiev, which for people familiar with it, you know what it is. For people not familiar with it, the Battle of Kiev was a point during the war in the like early yeah. months where the Russian military basically tried to surround Kiev and encircle the capital and take control of it and that effort failed and the occupiers were eventually driven out but to kind of touch on the volunteer part there were volunteers across ukraine and this is still happening in the east obviously and in the south but especially in kiev there's a lot of coverage on it and how volunteers were you know preparing food for the elderly and as well for the territorial defense And so this kind of like grassroots support of the territorial defense was really cool to witness. Um, 
because it's almost helping military people in your city directly and, you know, seeing that effect immediately. Just to quote a volunteer who was delivering food, he said, So I cannot fight with a weapon in my hands. I can fight with the humanitarian cause. That's what I can do. And especially in Kiev, several restaurants and cafes have turned to food factories. And apparently about 30 or more restaurants produced like 15,000 meals a day to support the elderly and to support the territorial defense with over, you know, 600 volunteers just at one cafe. And that cafe actually is called Mates, and it's a cafe near the circus in um, kind of the northwestern corner of central Kiev, where my friend used to live. And I remember we went to a cafe a day or two before they were evacuated because they were a member of the embassy. And I went to this cafe and it was a super cute cafe. I remember walking past it every day when I would visit this friend and just kind of think, you know, I should really try that cafe. And before the invasion, I actually did. And it was crazy reading about this and seeing, oh crap, like that was the cafe that I ate in like 26 days before the war started. Yeah, and seeing these places that are such social hubs in the city become centers of community and taking that social interaction between groups and directing it towards a good cause is, I mean, is beyond inspiring. And anyone that's ever been to Kiev knows, like, oh, we have like Kiev Food Market, we have um, Raiderska Circle, we have... Um, that little corner, like, by Besarabsky Renok, like, we have these different places that it's, like, lots of restaurants near each other, and these kind of little collections of places, and to see those places where you would go to just hang out with friends, you're still hanging out with friends, but you're doing it, you're doing it as volunteers now, you're bringing it to life and bringing it to a, a, a cause motivated by your own desire to help the volunteers, but also, like, those volunteers are helping your country, like, you're doing your own part. I mean, that's just, I think that really captures the essence of the city. And another really cool thing I just love about the city is its its social aspects, and specifically the party culture. Uh, Kiev is known for its parties, for its nightlife, the clubs, and even during the war, parties still went on, um, but lots were underground, and they were directed to help the army. So you'd go and instead of your ticket price being for the club or using the money for like buying drinks, going to the bartender, like that money is now filtered into the army. So I remember reading this New York Times article and it was really interesting. So for people who aren't familiar with the like day-to-day situation in Ukraine, there's this thing called Komandanskodina or like commander's hour that's been enforced in Ukraine during the war. And basically it limits when people can be out. So for example, it would go from, you know, 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. or 6 a.m. till 11 p.m. like it was in Lviv. And basically it just limits the monitoring that cities have to do at night and just kind of keeps everyone safe and at home. And this commander's hour, regardless of it, the partying and that you know, night culture still existed. And it was really, really cool to read this and learn about this and hear all these interviews where 
they were talking about, you know, how volunteers would organize raves that started at 2 p.m. and ended at, you know, 7 p.m. So that people had, you know, time to go home and time to clean up and that they weren't staying past this hourly limit. I just, I thought that was really cool and kind of being able to preserve Ukraine's and Kiev's social culture during this war. And again, all the funds that were raised through ticket prices were given to the army, the Ukrainian army. And again, there was a no alcohol policy during like all these raves and all these parties. Generally, the idea through these raves was just creating a sense of community and unity in Kiev and bringing the city back to life in a way, which I thought was really interesting. And you're having fun and socializing and having the sense of community while also supporting your army, which I think is really just awesome to hear and made me super happy to kind of hear that like preservation of social culture. Yeah, absolutely. That's just I think it's so illustrative of the Kiev we grew up with, the Kiev we're used to. And we, I mean, at least for me, I'm a little bit older. Like those are the parties that I went to. Those are the, those are the bars that we'd hang out at. And that's so great to see it captured like that because it can be really disheartening to be checking the news and seeing everything with like, almost a black and white filter over it that's like oh old the old country like eastern europe this like impoverished war-torn country it's like no we're not an impoverished war-torn country well war-torn a little bit but we're we're creative thinkers like when i think of the ukrainian spirit i really think of creativity and i realize that more now that i'm not there how creatively fulfilling it was to live there and to see these people use creative energy and problem solving and and finding answers um it it really captures the life I had there and I think it's also really important to preserve the social life because that's where you do your brainstorming whether or not you realize it that's where you come up with other ideas and that's where you remember what you're fighting for and the people that you care about and and it's not possible for everyone to stay there and of course there's so many people doing their parts outside the country but when you're there you remember why it's your place to be totally and I mean touching on like where I grew up of course I didn't experience that party culture I was much younger than you when I left but there is always the sense of like youth within Kiev. And this, you know, Kiev to me was always such a young place. It was always this place of hipsters and like cute little cafes and just this really young thriving population that drove and will drive Ukraine forward. And people talk about Kiev being this almost queer capital of Eastern Europe. And I don't not sure to what extent that's true. I there's absolutely a lot of homophobia in Kiev. But specifically looking at the youth, like that's so true. And there was a real sense of youth and just liveliness that Kiev had always had. And seeing that preserved is really, really amazing while this war is going on and while also supporting Ukraine's victory in the war. 
And just to mention some other volunteer efforts that I think really capture the the creative spirit and the different walks of life people come from. There's the story of this little girl who played checkers competitively, and she raised thousands of hryvnia just by challenging adults to play checkers against her outside her local supermarket. And she then donated all that money to the Sidhi Pritula Foundation. And for those of you who don't know, the Sidhi Pritula Foundation is a charity foundation founded in 2014 by Sidhi Pritula, a former TV host. And if anyone has watched Eurovision, the Eurovision, I believe it was 2016, the year that Ukraine hosted, he was one of the hosts of Eurovision. So that's where you might know him from if you are European but not from Ukraine. Um, and basically, the charity is aimed at providing non-weaponry needs to the military and territorial defense. They accept monetary donations in order to fulfill requests from units in the military and provide things like cars, drones, fuel, helmets, and optic devices. So it's not necessarily weapons, but it's things that still support them that they need just as much. Exactly. And over the course of the war, they've raised like tens of millions of dollars and become this really huge, well-known charity uh, in Ukraine and outside of Ukraine as well. I'm not sure if people in Canada or further abroad beyond Europe have heard of it, but it's become this really trustworthy source of monetary donation. And I actually, I want to reference this really amazing, I think it's really funny, piece of culture and music and song about, uh, written about Sidhi Pritula. And it's called Vidayu Prituli, which in Ukrainian means uh, giving it to Pritula. And he's talking about money, um, but I'm just going to play a snippet of the song right now. I have to say that reminded me that just last weekend, I actually went to a rave, some, somewhat rave, uh, that was a fundraiser for Ukraine. And this is totally the kind of song they would have played there. For those of you listening who aren't Naomi, who can see me right now, I have my, uh, my globe bracelets from the rave and my sunglasses that I was wearing. And I went with a friend here and it was really nice. And it was a wonderful sense of community. And I think it's the most stereotypical Ukrainian thing that we could have done, that we both bought tickets for both of us. And then when we got there, we both pulled out the tickets and went, oh, by the way, I got your ticket. And so both of us paid for two tickets. Uh, great, because we got to donate even more money. Um, but that kind of song is totally what would have been played there and showcases the kind of abroad that really captured the Ukrainian spirit. And so basically for listeners who don't speak Ukrainian, the song, the lyrics are basically saying, um, I'm giving my whole salary to Pritula, which like Sirhi Pritula, with this really funny like hip hop rave like atmosphere. And it's kind of a musical comedy, like it's funny. I think it kind of acts as an ode to the Ukrainian spirit and Ukrainian volunteerism in a way. And I just, I thought that was worth sharing. <laughs> and so I also wanted to touch on a, another really epic, really awesome effort um, being done by another Ukrainian in Lviv. And his name is uh, Yuri Nazaruk. And if you know Lviv uh, at all, he is 
the co-founder and founder of several like really, really big impactful companies in Lviv. And for people familiar with Ukraine, you totally know of Pravda, Avyatya Halchene, and Rebernia, all three of which he owns and you know, co-owns and manages. And they're all kind of under his umbrella. Um, right. So he's just the co-founder of all these companies. Yeah. And in April, he launched this initiative where he would crowdfund enough money to buy a fighter jet directly from another country's military and transfer it to Ukraine's Ministry of Defense. And what I learned about interviewing him back in October, that wasn't referenced in any articles or news that people could pull like from the internet, uh, was that he's actually looking at buying it directly from Thailand or the Philippines, among other countries. And according to him, um, East Asian countries in particular bought Soviet-era equipment and military planes and things like that from post-Soviet countries after the fall of the Soviet Union. So these post-Soviet countries would be uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Belarus, Ukraine, places like that, um, that were part of the Soviet Union and then became independent countries, but still had all this Soviet equipment. And so his kind of idea in this was not only is it far cheaper to buy one of these planes from Thailand or the Philippines um, because it's also older technology, but the Ukrainian military is already familiar with that equipment, which means that they don't really need any training or any prep to start using it. They can use it as soon as they, you know, get the funds and get the plane. I just thought that was a really, really cool initiative that it almost feels like is common in a way in Ukraine. And I remember, um, I remember during the war, the City Pratula Foundation has fundraised a few separate times, a ridiculous amount of money in a very short period of time. So they raised enough money for three Bayraktars, which are these like Turkish drones, I believe. And they fundraised all this money in something like three and a half hours. Absolutely crazy numbers and crazy statistics. But I think it kind of speaks to the Ukrainian spirit and the Ukrainian initiative to do this and do this so fast and really, really support their country, uh, regardless of kind of their economic situation or, you know, the mentality that if Ukraine is in need, if people are in need, we will help them, especially if they're part of our community. Yeah, and seeing how Ukrainians have all taken on such independent roles in feeling their own personal initiative and in funding the the army or volunteer efforts, it's so so inspiring that we're not just thinking of it in terms of one way of helping. For sure. Um, And I really, really wanted to include this in today's episode. And it's more of a a broad effort, an effort from Canada specifically. It's this company called St. Javelin. And so St. Javelin was founded by Christian Boris. And he's this Canadian journalist who covered the war in Ukraine um, since 2014 and uh, has worked in, you know, the region before founding this project. And he actually started it before the war began on February 16th. So eight days before the war began, if my math is right, um, because of the escalations happening and did this as kind of a humanitarian effort. And the goal was to raise money to help Ukrainians in need, 
uh, specifically his family and friends. And that eventually expanded to a military level once the further invasion started on the 24th. And what he did from that point is actually quite amazing. So his initial idea was to raise $500 by selling stickers. And eventually that turned into a very iconic brand. I know I've seen it on Instagram. I've seen it everywhere. I'm definitely saving up to do a big haul from there. Um, And the basic feature of this brand uh, was a saint-like figure holding a javelin missile, which was a game-changing piece of equipment provided to Ukraine by the U.S. And these stickers completely exploded in popularity and went viral. So St. Javelin expanded their production to making t-shirts, hats, hoodies, you name it, they make it. They've got different variations. I would highly, highly recommend. Totally. And I have so many stickers, so much merch from them, so many hats, and they keep uh, coming out with new designs, new ideas. They've actually worked with the Ukrainian military and uh, United 24, which is a government effort um, started by Zelensky. And it's a media effort, but also a direct military funding site where you can allocate your donation to three specific channels. And one of them is medical aid, one of them is rebuilding, and another is direct military support. So St. Javelin has worked with United 24 and worked with the Ukrainian government to really support the Ukrainian military and support Ukrainian victory. And also just what I found super cool about St. Javelin is how they've taken all these like war-related memes and turned them into really funny pieces of merch. So now after raising literal millions of dollars, their production has moved almost completely to Ukraine. And so not only are they helping the military by donation, but they're also directly helping the Ukrainian economy, which I think is just really awesome. I know a few activists here as well who have raised money during charity events, or I know my grandma actually organized a charity benefit concert at her local church, and she raised 20,000 Canadian dollars for the Ukrainian military, which was just absolutely incredible. Um, One of my friends here is Ukrainian. She relocated from Kiev and is selling bracelets and basically just went neighborhood to neighborhood and sold bracelets and jewelry that she made by hand out of clay and has raised, I think, somewhere close to $10,000 just through that. I think really to close on this episode, Ukrainians from all walks of life are supporting Ukraine and really anyone with a connection to Ukraine is directly and constantly helping Ukraine. And I just think I wanted to really leave our listeners with that today. I think you covered that very well. It's so inspiring. St. Javelin, I love them to pieces. I think how they're bridging what appears to be a meme page into such like actually life-saving donations and technology and I think they're very very smart as an organization and once again capturing the best that Ukraine has to offer even abroad or people that have come to Ukraine Um, as journalists as tourists it's worth saving and it's worth putting that effort in and getting creative with it and not letting everything turn into bureaucracy absolutely 
Um, to our listeners, please, please, please donate. Everything that you donate will count. Um, and just donate to the places we mentioned. Um, buy something from St. Javelin. Donate to the City Pratula Foundation. Even, you know, like $5, that is going to add up if all our listeners donate. And yeah, and thank you again for listening to our third episode of Ukrainian-ish. Um, Sonia and I will keep working on putting out podcasts and episodes for you. I think we're quite excited for, for what our future episodes might hold. So thank you for listening.